0: Like, man, I would love to interview him if Marcus were a guest on tow. Maybe he would be a fan of the CTMU. Maybe he would be a castrop sympathizer. I'll leave that up to you. Dive into the philosophies of Marcus Aurelius today with the book that Ryan Holiday said is the greatest book ever written. Meditations is available from Penguin Random House at prh.com slash meditations. Recall that you can click on the timestamp in the description to skip this longish introduction. Salvatore Pius is an aerospace engineer, formerly working at the Naval Air Station and currently working at the United States Air Force. His patents and papers have attracted international attention for their potential military and energy production applications. If true and feasible, then they could change the way that we travel, communicate, as well as see ourselves in the cosmos. This is an exclusive interview and the first time Salvatore Pius has ever come on camera. This is part one of a two-part interview, so if you have questions for Sal for next time, then leave them below. Click on the timestamp in the description if you'd like to skip this intro. My name is Kurt Jaimungal, I'm a Torontonian filmmaker with a background in mathematical physics, interested in explicating the variegated terrain of theories of everything from mainly a theoretical physics perspective, but as well as understanding the role consciousness has to fundamental reality. The plan is for this podcast sometime this year to lead somewhere, perhaps even earlier, starting with ideas in gauge theory, which begin in ideas in Lie group theory, and build up to the infinite categorical approaches to physics, like infinite categories and modal homotopy type theories as well, and even geometric algebra. The reason being that the physical theories of everything and the language to understand them and the unification attempts are more elegantly written and understood from those perspectives, at least to some people. Outside of the universities, there are no accessible texts on this let alone media content, so hopefully the Toe Podcast will serve as a stanchion supporting the quest for understanding the mathematical fundamental principles. If you enjoy witnessing and engaging with others in real time on the topics of consciousness, psychology, physics, and mathematics, then check out the description for a link to the Discord and subreddit. There's also a link to the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash if you'd like to support this podcast as support from the patrons and the sponsors are the only reasons that I can bring podcasts of this quality and depth, as this is now what I'm able to do full-time thanks to your support. Speaking of sponsors, there are three. The first sponsor is Brilliant. During the winter break, I decided to brush up on some of the fundamentals of physics, particularly with regard to information theory, as I'd like to interview Chiara Marletto on Constructor Theory, which is heavily based in information theory. Now information theory is predicated on entropy, at least there's a fundamental formula for entropy. So I ended up taking the brilliant course, I challenged myself to do one lesson per day, and I took the courses Random Variable Distributions and Knowledge slash Uncertainty. What I loved is that despite knowing the formula for entropy, which is essentially hammered into you as an undergraduate, it seems like it comes down from the sky arbitrarily, and with Brilliant, for the first time, I was able to see how the formula for entropy, which you're seeing right now, is actually extremely natural, and it'd be strange to define it in any other manner. There are plenty of courses, and you can even learn group theory, which is what's being referenced when you hear that the standard model is predicated on U1 cross SU2 cross SU3. Those are Lie groups, continuous Lie groups. Visit brilliant.org toe, T-O-E, to get 20% off an annual subscription. And I recommend that you don't stop before four lessons. I think you'll be greatly surprised at the ease at which you can now comprehend subjects you previously had a difficult time grokking. The second sponsor is Ground News. If you're someone like myself who's ever exposed to the unrelenting onslaught of digital media, you've become increasingly skeptical of the veracity of the information you're receiving. Particularly with regard to balance, and that's where ground news comes in. For every breaking news story, they'll show you which media outlets are reporting on the issue and where they fall on the political spectrum. You can instantly spot media bias, discover stories outside your own, perhaps unrecognized, echo chamber, and attain some clarity, especially in these chaotic times. The Ground News website and app lets you compare headlines from left, center, and right sources simply with a swipe. And their blind spot feed will show you stories that are not being reported by one side of the political spectrum. Subscribers also gain access to features like My News Bias, which lets you track your reading habits so you can see how factual your sources are, who owns them, and much more. Ground news isn't better news, it's an improved manner of the consumption of news. Download the Ground News app or browser extension to make sure that you're seeing the full picture. Visit tow to demand more from your news. The third sponsor is Algo. Now, Algo is an end-to-end supply chain optimization software company with software that helps business users optimize sales and operations, planning to avoid stockouts, reduce return and inventory write-downs while reducing inventory investment. It's a supply chain AI that drives smart ROI, headed by Amjad Hussein, who's been a huge supporter of this podcast since near its inception. In fact, Amjad has his own podcast on AI and consciousness and business growth, and if you'd like to support the Toe podcast, then visit the link in the description to see Amjad's podcast, because subscribing to him, or at least visiting, supports the Toe podcast indirectly. Thank you and enjoy. If you can see this, type in, these pretzels are making me thirsty. These pretzels are making me thirsty. Let's see. Yes. Okay, so we're live. We are live, Sal. All right. All right. So, Salvatore Pais. Is that correct? Did I pronounce it correctly?
1: Correct, sir. Wow, one of the few to pronounce it right at the mark.
0: Great, great. Uh... So, Sal, firstly, no need to call me sir. I'm Kurt. I'm your friend. And... Tell the audience about your story. How did you come to these patents? How did you come to these ideas? And what are these ideas?
1: Well, um, all right. It's a long story, but the whole idea started from Maxwell's equations, the Heaviside version of Maxwell's equations. As you well know, Maxwell's equations is a series of what, tw- 20 equations with 20 unknowns, uh, written in quaternion formalism. It's... Uh, They were extremely hard to deal with. Uh, And don't forget, they were actually an ether theory at the time. Uh, Later, Einstein did away with the luminiferous ether, even though he slightly reintroduced it in 1921 in a paper that no one wants to talk about, so I won't. I think it's called Sidelights on Relativity. Anyway, um, to make a very long story short, uh, I noticed... um, that a simple dimensional analysis of the Heaviside version of uh, Maxwell's equations, a Heaviside version of them, there are, you know, the four equations, four unknowns that every physics student knows to love. What makes this computer and these devices that we're using now in our podcast uh, 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 feasible, uh, you could call them the laws of classical electromagnetism. Uh, And they talk about practically uh, electric field, E, and uh, a magnetic uh, uh, induction term, B, also known as the the magnetic flux density, and uh, a simple relationship between these two terms, E equals C, B, comes out of Maxwell's equations, where C is the speed of light. Um, Now, I noticed that... uh, from from these equations you could actually uh get a term for the pointing for the magnitude of the pointing vector and uh it comes if you write the pointing vector uh if you go if you refer to my papers and you can give the papers in your in your podcast in your uh feed so so people know how to refer to them there's a series of papers, not just the patents, but right, the papers that go with it. Yeah. That.
0: So just so you know, Sal, one of the reasons I'm super excited to be speaking with you, not only, well, there are many reasons, but one of them, I've been spending weeks going through these papers. Thanks. I have quite a few here, and I'll link all of these papers in the description. And uh, well, Thank you, sir. I hope we can get to some of these notes that I have too.
1: Great. That'd be absolutely great. Okay, but to make a very long story short, I noticed that it is possible by doing this to... Um, okay, the whole idea is uh, it leads to control motion of electrically charged matter from solid to plasma states subjected to accelerated spin and or accelerated vibration via rapid acceleration transients. This gives rise to high-energy electromagnetic energy fluxes which are commensurate to high-energy densities. Hence, it is possible, in my opinion, to achieve the Schwinger limit, that is, electromagnetic energy fluxes uh, on the order of uh, 10 to the 33 watts per meter square, which is commensurate to energy densities on the order of 10 to the 25 joules per meter cube. So in other words, you can lead to something called um, quantum electrodynamic vacuum breakdown. When you achieve,
0: yes. I'm so sorry. As an aside for the audience, if you're not following what some of these terms are, don't worry. Because as we continue throughout the podcast, I'm going to be stopping Sal at different points to explain certain terms. Like even simple terms, like what is a piezoelectric material? I know it's piezo, however people want to pronounce it. What is a superconductor? What is the Cooper pair? What is the stringer limit? And so on and so on. So this will serve, because this we're going to have another conversation, this will serve as a prelude to that conversation.
1: Correct, sir. And this is what I love about your podcast. Not only do you have a tremendous ability to understand your guest's work, and you really take your time, in and, and I've never seen anybody... Uh, uh, the, uh, the work of Carl Fristen, for example, was amazing how you were. I think you're one of the few people who understands the free energy uh, formalism. But anyway. Um, that was tough. Well, other than he, that is. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. I chose it because of your background in theoretical physics and mathematics, because you are a, a truly knowledgeable of this matter. And not only that, but you go in detail. As to the work uh, of the guest, which is amazing compared to other podcasts, I, I, you know, I, I chose you, and also you mentioned whether, uh, you know, on on your Ross Coldhard interview, you mentioned if there's any possibility of getting in touch with me. So I said, you know, wh- why not just, you know, yeah, well, cut I'm the middleman and, and yeah, and, and go directly to you. The whole idea is is this. You have tremendous ability from the point of view of your background in theoretical physics and mathematics, and this is why I am on this podcast, because I want to speak to um, what I look at as a member of the mainstream physics community. I need to engage with that, with that community, so as to at least uh, have them look at this work without... Uh, being referred to as a Navy UFO or UAP patents and so forth, I, because there's I need, stigma around that. A, a, there is great stigma around that, sir. Still, and unfortunately, even though certain events, uh, for example, have even brought to the uh, this, U, this new UAP uh, uh, office being uh, founded and so forth, I, I I will not I will not t- touch on that and you know, unless you go into that particular subject. I'll keep it relevant to my work, but it is important to realize that this particular work uh, could also have other implications. Now, why did I call it the the Pais effect? Uh, a, a lot of people say that uh, it was great hubris on my part, but after all, it is an original concept, and it's so much easier to say the Pice effect than to say control motion of electrically charged matter from solids to plasma states subjected to blah 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 blah, and all everything that I've said before that gives rise to these high energy densities. remember with high energy densities, you can manipulate locally the space time fabric, what we understand as as uh, some emerge, something that emerges from the quantum vacuum. And hence, the idea of a possible breakdown of this quantum vacuum at, at these high energy densities. But, okay, to go back to your original question, what, what prompted me to actually write the patents, was inc- it was incredibly hard to get uh, my ideas peer-reviewed. I, I would get rejection, and I, I tried some very uh, uh, influential and very prestigious journals, and I was basically rejected within a, a matter of uh, days. Now, why do if, you think that is? I believe uh, this particular work actually nobody believes that such a high energy densities can be achieved. There is no way to manipulate uh, the space-time continuum. There's no way to, in any way, uh, engage with the quantum vacuum. And I believe that by this uh, manner, and I will not repeat the Pais effect, because it, after a while, it bothers me too. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I, I wish someone could come up with a better uh, name for it and call it that. And, and maybe then they'll use it. And, and, uh, and my ideas won't be construed as the words of a crackpot. And
0: Call it the Feynman crack. effect.
1: <laughs> that is fine. Then everyone I mean, will be knocking on your door. I mean, door. one of the greatest physicists of all time. I have the greatest respect for uh, Dr. Feynman. So, um, okay. So then I went a, a different route. But this route is extremely hard because in the invention disclosure process at the Navy, this this is quite an arduous process. First of all, you have to apply. You have to speak directly to uh, the patent attorney for NAVAIR. Um, In this case, it was uh, Mr. Mark Glute, one of the best has. And you have to be good to understand some of the finer points of my theories. And uh, then I had to go through a trial by fire. (laughs) And let's put it that way. They're called the Invention Evaluation Board. And they're a group of NAVAIR fellows. We're talking about uh, PhDs. A lot of them have PhDs in the fields from quantum physics to electrical engineering, to mechanical engineering, aerospace engineering. These are no lightweights. and that room can pack sometimes up to twelve from twelve to eighteen people that are basically basically they give you twenty to thirty minutes, sometimes less to explain your work and whether that are you referring work to this? That. that is actually no. Uh, that is um, uh, actually that was done for a craft using um, yes. It was a, a patent attorney, a patent examiner interview. So after uh, the invention uh, disclosure was accepted by the Invention Evaluation Board at PACS, um, you actually um, go through and write your, uh, what's called a patent application. And that's given to the USPTO, the United States Patent and Trademark Organization. That's when usually a, a primary examiner, when it's something that this, this elevated physics, this advanced physics, usually a primary examiner uh, will examine the work. And in this case, Mr. Philip uh, Bonzel was the primary examiner. He was uh, He was taken aback because there's... He said, there's no way you can generate these high energy densities. So we had to convince him. And that's why that particular... um, uh, It's called a a patent examiner interview, where you actually try to argue your case and show to the patent examiner that it is worth allowing the patent. And shortly after that, uh, he actually rejected again... And we had to file a, a, um, an appeal based partially on the, on that, uh, the patent examiner interview. And uh, he actually allowed, and he wrote very minimal. He said, "See, appeal. That's all he wrote for allowing the patent. Once we explained to him some of the finer points of the work.
0: What were some of those finer points that convinced him And what were they in response to? So what were his criticisms?
1: He said there's no way that you can get electric field strengths on the order of uh, 10 to the 18 volts per meter and B fields. So in other words, magnetic flux density terms on the order of 10 to the 9 Tesla. Remember that relationship that E equals CB that I talked about, 10 to the 18th, you know, your C is on the order of 10 to the 8 meter per second, and hence the... um, actually three times 10 to the 8 meters per second, but you can say that on the order of 10 to the 8 uh, meter per second. Uh, yeah, the, the, whole idea, the whole idea is that I was able to, to um, show to him in this telephone interview while he had the slide presentation in front of him that uh, it is possible to generate the electromagnetic energy fluxes on the order of 10 to the 33 watts per meter square, which speaks to quantum electrodynamic vacuum breakdown. And once you break the quantum vacuum, you can basically uh, manipulate gravitational fields. Everything the vacuum... The vacuum is the resident medium, is the domain where all these forces interact own four known forces interact and yes uh, gravity can be regarded as a force even though general uh, relativity shows that it is most mostly a, a curvature of space-time uh, structure still we'll talk about the super force later so <laughs> we and and you must eventually have some uh, you have some tremendous points on quantum gravity and eventually we have to lead into that. But let's stick with the patents for now. So once you go for the invention uh, evaluation board, um, they, they debate for, it, it can take up to two, two to three weeks uh, whether they should proceed with your invention, whether they should file a patent application. And on five occasions, Every five of them. So we're talking about the room temperature superconductor. We're talking about the high-frequency gravitation wave generator. We're talking about craft using an inertial mass reduction device. We're talking about high-energy electromagnetic field generator. And we're talking about the plasma compression fusion device, which, by the way, that is the only one that I could get in a prestigious journal, namely the... um, the IEEE Transactions on Plasma Science. It's pretty prestigious, and it's not only well-regarded by plasma physicists, but also electrical engineers. After all, it is an right. IEEE publication. Uh, so, um, again, that also took some doing to independent peer reviews. It's extremely hard for people to accept new ideas. That is the bottom line. Uh, you asked a question previously as to why do you think mainstream physics stays away from you? Because these ideas that uh, let's call it the fine the Feynman effect, sure, sure, okay? sure, <laughs> the Feynman effect. This shows this shows that it is possible to interact with the quantum vacuum to generate such high energies of an electromagnetic nature, in this case, as to affect the energy densities locally of the space-time continuum. So,
0: Great, and we're going to get into detail on yeah. that either in this podcast or the next one because I'm still sure, sure. unclear, even though I've read quite a bit of your work. I'm still unclear what it means to interact with the quantum vacuum and pull out right. energy, but we can talk about that.
1: Oh, it, it, it's not pulling out energy here. This is important to understand. What it does, it actually, uh, it breaks it apart. It creates, a, for want of a better word, some sort of a black hole in, 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 in that particular locality. So it actually, it, it creates a void within the vacuum. Within that region, there is nothing, absolutely nothing. We're not talking, there is no quantum vacuum. But, again, how you achieve that is, is with extreme high energy densities. You need that because if you look carefully at general relativity, uh, look at the formalism that Einstein uses. Uh, instead of using the Ricci tensor, I use the Einstein tensor because it's easier to explain. Is G sub mu nu equal 8, 8, Pi times uh, G, big G, which is the, um, um, gr- the universal gravitational uh, c- constant divided by C to the fourth. And the whole thing, so that ca- scalar constant times your tensor, your energy density, T sum mu nu. Okay? Okay. And if you look at it uh, dimensionally, you realize that that scalar has in it w- what I call the super force. C to the fourth divided by G, which is on the order of 10 to the 44 newtons. And that basically represents the force of unification of all known forces. But that's for a later time in the podcast.
0: Okay. Um,
1: so when you look at that formula, you realize that in order to affect the space time curvature, in order to affect um, locally your spatial temporal geometric structure, let's call it that. Um, you must have extremely high T sum, you knew. you have very high energy densities. And how do you obtain that versus this effect that, you know, it's what people effect. have called okay. the Pius effect?
0: Okay. Yeah, sure. So, just for people who are unclear what we mean when we say Feynman effect, we're somewhat tongue in cheekly referring to it as the <laughs> Feynman effect. And we may interchange between Pius effect and Feynman effect. And Pius, Salvatore here, will go into exactly what the Pius effect is shortly. So, firstly, there's a quote from Ross Coulthard's book, which says, Are Dr. Salvatore Pais' mind-blowing patents merely a pathetic bluff to scare off America's rivals? What is your response to that?
1: Absolutely not, sir. They are not a bluff. A lot of people have called them disinformation. A lot of people have called them disinformation. But if you look closely, the physics is correct all you have to do is look at it dimensionally and you'll see that that electromagnetic energy flux has the, not only the correct dimensions, but has the correct physics in it. But you'll realize that, okay, it is possible to get these kind of energy densities not by just having very high voltages in that local area, very high electrical charges, but also, for example, very high frequencies of either vibrations or spin. Now, to go back your question on James Sheehy, because it's important. I think this one that's coming up. Go ahead, sir. You were going to ask about Dr. James Sheehy?
0: Yes, he attested that it was operable. Is that
1: correct? These are the terms that he used, and I'm not quite sure exactly what he meant by it. But if you look at the physics, again, these are based on the laws of classical electromagnetism. These computers, these devices, this microphone I'm using, none of them would work if it wasn't for the veracity, the validity of the Heaviside version of what we understand now as classical electromagnetics. So, yeah. Uh, I, I Maybe this is what he meant. Was he able to test it? None, none. how should I say, as far as I know, there's no such craft out there that's using the Pais effect that... Uh, we tried to do what's called a high-energy electromagnetic field generator. At Pax River, we tried to actually do the experiments. We tried to accelerate a charge uh, in spin up to um, 100,000 RPM. So we talk about 10,000 radians per second. So quite high angular velocities. But uh, the charge that was used was could not be achieved more than 10 to the minus 8 Coulombs, and you need at least a 1 Coulomb electrical charge to affect some of these uh, more remarkable uh, phenomena. Okay,
0: so let's focus in on this 1 Coulomb charge. So I did some back-of-the-envelope calculations here, and let's say we have a capacitance of 1 farad then if we had a sphere, it would have to be larger than the radius of the Earth. Now, let's imagine we had a sphere that is one meter, so fairly large, but not terrible. To place a one-coulomb charge on it, it would have to have a potential of about one gigavolt. Now, that's quite a significant amount of potential. So is this feasible? Is this one-coulomb charge reasonable?
1: I believe it is. Yes, I believe it is. But it 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 cannot be your regular... Uh, The truth of the matter is you'll never achieve these kind of energy densities with solids, but you can achieve them with plasmas. Now, exactly how that's done, I cannot say on the podcast, because that could represent uh, an issue of national security. And sir, I am a patriot. can never give away certain um, things. Sure, sure. But yeah, it is much better to work with plasmas than with uh, electrically charged solids. So just leave it at that. But it is feasible. It's physically feasible to do this. As far as I know, no one has done it. But, you know, you never know. So Where
0: did you get your ideas from? What was the inspiration?
1: The primary inspiration was how, how could you... This is the thing that bothered me tremendously, is... If you look again at general relativity, this, this g sub mu nu equals this scalar constant times, uh, times your energy density, it just it bothered me tremendously that this energy density could not be achieved, and I kept on telling myself maybe if I go back to the fundamental equations and not necessarily Maxwell's quaternion formalism, but Heaviside's equation, maybe there is a way. To do this, not by using high voltages, high charges, but by using high frequencies. And then it occurred to me what if I accelerate either in spin or in vibration? Because then you get nonlinear terms. You get parabolic terms in your angular frequency of either spin or vibration. Because remember, spin and vibration, they have similar equations if you look carefully.
0: So, what is the difference times-
1: between spin and vibration? I think it is much easier to achieve very high frequencies of uh, vibration than high frequency of spin. Uh, because not only, uh, again, when you deal with spin, you cannot have, for example, discs that are, hard, that are high in diameter, say, than uh, four inches because the centrifugal forces that uh, would break this thing apart, especially at, at 100,000 RPM, so, but it is, in my opinion, it's possible to get frequencies of vibration very high, uh, even exceeding 10 to the eight uh, um, one divided by second, um, by uh, subjecting it to, for example, pulsed current going through these piezo or piezo, however you choose to pronounce, let's call them piezoelectric uh, uh, elements then it, it it is possible but remember pulse current because what you need in it is an accelerated vibration okay so let's and this break this key. down this is key yeah what is a piezoelectric material a piezoelectric for example uh, a pct uh, it's from lead zirconate titanate uh, it's it's a composite material the whole idea is when it's subjected to a voltage it can actually shows the deformation of the material itself Or if you uh, uh, expose the material to deformation, stresses, and so forth, it gives rise to voltages. So people have used it one way or used it the other way. I use it from the point of view, if you send a current through it, so an electrical charge uh, accelerated through it, then you get these very high frequencies of vibration. This is how I use piezoelectrics, yeah.
0: People can understand it with their phones. The fact that you can press and that your phone registers it is because there's a piezoelectric material there or no?
1: Uh, sure. Why not? Yes. It is quite possible that uh, the piezoelectrics are used in many components, many devices. So yes, absolutely.
0: Okay. In other words, just to reiterate, it's you apply pressure and then there's a charge. Is it a charge or there's a voltage?
1: There's a voltage that's generated. And and again because you have the material there's a capacitance uh, charge is capacitance times voltage and and that's how charge gets generated. But uh, right,
0: go ahead. Okay, so piezo is a relationship between applying pressure and then an increase in voltage.
1: Yes. Or in this case uh, applying a current through your uh, element, your piezoelectric element, and getting vibration of that PZT element, which is what I use it for.
0: So what is vibration? Are you talking about vibration at some atomic level? So the atoms are just jiggling.
1: Vibration of the of the composite itself, you can actually see this thing vibrate once you put a current through it. So I think frequency, I. If I remember uh, correctly, something to do, uh, uh, it's like the frequency of vibration is on the order of one divided by square root of uh, LC, where uh, L is your induction, C is your capacitance of whatever circuit you have. The, uh, that's a common f- formula for, uh, for it. But this is how you get vibration from these elements, by passing a current through it. And in this case, you don't just pass a constant current, you pass a pulsed current.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Now, what is the difference between those two?
1: Because that would uh, accelerate the frequency of vibration. That would make it... Uh, that would bring in this nonlinearity in angular frequency of either spin or vibration. That's part of that... Uh, remember that I spoke of the magnitude of the pointing vector being the electromagnetic. Uh-huh.
0: Now, is that because it resonates...
1: Yes, yes, yes. That as well, because what's resonance after all? That's an amplification of energy.
0: Okay, so is one way to understand this, like there's this famous video of a bridge that's wobbling and it's because of the wind and the wind happens to be at the frequency of the bridge. So if we were to just apply that wind straight without any oscillations in the wind, then the bridge wouldn't oscillate so much. It's almost like the wind is pulsing and you're saying something similar is going on where you pulsate some piezoelectric material with electricity at some resonant frequency
1: and you increase its frequency of vibration right and you make it non linear it's no longer a linear effect so no longer goes as as omega it goes at om- as as om- as omega square okay and that's part of the uh, if, if you look carefully at the equations that i use uh, um, to generate this uh, the magnitude of the pointing vector which is really the high energy electromagnetic energy flux uh And remember that uh, that EM energy flux, it's really C times your energy in it. Again, C, the speed of light, times the, um, well, in this case would be epsilon zero E square, where E is your uh, electric field strength. So uh, your uh, your, um, electromagnetic energy flux is really C times the energy density. So that's how the two are related. That's why I say 10 to the 33 watts per meter square is commensurate with the 10 to the 25 joules per meter cube. That's an energy density. And that brings about uh, the this effect of quantum electrodynamic vacuum break, breakdown. That can actually be found in a, in a great book. It's an AIAA publication, I believe, by... Uh, is it Mark Millis and, and uh, Eric W. Davis, Dr. Davis, Dr. Eric Davis, known for other things as well. Um, he, they actually, um, I think they, they were the two main editors for this uh, book, a great book called Foundations or Frontiers, Frontiers um, of Advanced Physics. I'm not sure exactly the, na- the, the name of the book, but yeah. Uh, uh, Mark Millis and Eric W. Davis. They edited this book. Uh, this Frontiers of Propulsion Science. Thank you, sir. That's it. And in it, they speak of this this ability to have quantum electrodynamic vacuum breakdown based on this idea of getting energy densities on the order of 10 to the 25 joules per meter cube. If you can do that, and how How do you do that? By using the bias effect or the Feynman effect. That's however you choose to call it.
0: Okay. Getting back to this question of...
1: Well, maybe we should not... call it the Schwinger effect. Yeah, well, the Schwinger effect already Schwinger, has a name. Right, yes. right, right. So yes. this
0: breakdown of the quantum vacuum that you keep referring to, is that yeah. related to the Schwinger effect, the creation?
1: Yes, yes. Because sh- uh, it it is um, Schwinger. Again, Schwinger, Tomonaga, and Feynman uh, received the Nobel Prize for quantum electrodynamics. Now... Schwinger, Julian Schwinger, he came up. He basically said, if we can get electric field strengths on the order of ten to the eighteen volts per meter, which is, uh, which would mean um, magnetic induction B fields on the order of ten to the nine tesla, uh, then we could actually get quantum electrodynamic vacuum breakdown. So you, what you could actually do. Imagine um, a rip in the space-time continuum. So basically, whatever you, you generate this energy density with would be sucked, for lack of a better word, into this uh, conditioned vacuum. It's no longer your regular quantum. It's like a void within the vacuum.
0: Okay, and then what are the implications of that? What happens after that?
1: A lot of, it's quite possible that uh, an, very an, anomalous physical phenomena, for example, new methods of transport. Uh, you never have uh, this idea, of your regular propulsion ideas. You no longer have to implement, for example, Newton's third law. It, it, they, would, they would move more, this craft would move more like uh, these UAPs than they...
0: In the Schwinger effect, there's also, as soon as the Schwinger effect comes into effect, and by the way, it's not been shown because no one's been able to generate this. This is theoretical or hypothetical. It also causes a decay of the electric field itself. So does that mean you have to continually supply an electric field?
1: Yes, absolutely. It's while the device is operational that this, once the device stops, you go back to your regular quantum vacuum and you're back... Again, nobody has generated this 10 to the 33 watts per meter square. I believe the bias effect can be used to generate that using plasmas. Exactly how I cannot say on this podcast, but I believe that is possible. So, yes. Okay. I just use electrically charged solids because it is easier to explain. And you're right. It is not easy to obtain a one-coulomb electrical charge. It is extremely hard. We're getting
0: some of the preliminaries out of the way, so how about we talk about what the Gürsens gene effect is? Because that will come up
1: plenty. Sure, sir. Uh, think of the Gürsensstein. The, be- the best way of thinking of it it's it's a way to generate high frequency gravitational wave. Uh, I believe the original paper was in the was somewhere in uh, uh, the Soviet Union in 1960. It um, and what he does is he uses nested electromagnetic fields to generate high-frequency gravitational waves.
0: Okay, what is a nested electromagnetic field?
1: An electromagnetic field confined within another. And the way I use it, I basically generate the Pais effect both within the interior, the internal internal electromagnetic field and the outer electromagnetic field. You can refer to my... uh, Patent actually was used, and this is very interesting. Uh, the craft using an inertial um, mass reduction device, it took a great deal of doing. It had a lot of uh, work to get it through examination. The high-frequency gravitational wave generator was a first office allowance, which is amazing for uh, such a highly advanced and highly controversial uh, subject matter. But, okay, the Götzenstein effect theoretically can be used to generate high-frequency gravitational waves. If you can generate high-frequency gravitational waves, again, what do you do? You can alter the space-time continuum in proximity of your craft. So, It would move like these UAPs move, for lack of a better analogy.
0: Uh Uh-huh. So do you feel like these UAPs are operating under this
1: principle? I am not certain, uh, but it is quite feasible. Yes, it's feasible.
0: I'll restate what the Gershenstein or Gershonstein effect is. If you have a strong magnetic field and you pass an electromagnetic field through that B field then you can generate, it's like a conversion. You can change from EM waves to gravitational waves. Now, gravitational waves, LIGO has only found them from black holes merging. Low frequency, remember. These are high frequency gravitation. So is LIGO or is anyone else looking for high frequency gravitational waves? Because a question that pops into my mind is, if these crafts are operating by that principle, then we should be able to observe high frequency waves on the, we should be able to observe it with LIGO or some other experimental setup.
1: That is a very good point. I believe LIGO cannot cannot detect high-frequency gravitational waves. If someone can show that is erroneous, I stand corrected. But as far as I know, they detect low-frequency gravitational waves. So it is quite possible that LIGO would not uh, pick up uh, these uh, hypothetical craft. Yeah.
0: Okay, we're going to get into a bit of the details here. So on yeah. screen, you can't see this, but I'll place this into the podcast once it's edited, but perhaps I could show you here. The image that I'll be showing is here. is is that.
1: Oh, yes. That's the craft uh, using an inertial mass reduction device, right?
0: Okay, so let's right. go through this. These microwave emitters, what are they doing?
1: what they use force to generate high frequency vibration of the plasma remember there's like a xenon plasma and that affects the outer outer wall so it, it 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 actually it starts resonating it at very high frequencies remember that outer wall is electrically charged and it would have to be because uh the the way the bias effect is formulated. So um yeah, go ahead.
0: Forgive me if I retread the same ground repeatedly. It's just how I'm understanding it. I want to make sure that I'm not misunderstanding yes, sure. anything. Okay, so we have this craft here, and there is plasma where so the plasma is. See where right. these waves are? That's it's yes, like sir. a it's like a fluorescent how there's a fluorescent tube and it's hollow and that's filled with a plasma. Or, well, make it into a plasma. So is that there's some plasma inside the walls of a right. craft. Right. Okay, so there's some plasma, and then the microwave emitters are there in order to accelerate their vibrational frequency?
1: Yes. You You need that in order to get these high frequencies of vibration. Now, exactly, exactly how you'd make sure that the plasma does not contact the walls, that's, I cannot talk on this podcast.
0: Hear that sound? That's the sweet sound of success with Shopify. Shopify is the all-encompassing commerce platform that's with you from the first flicker of an idea to the moment you realize you're running a global enterprise. Now, are you ready to start your own success story? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theories, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theories now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash theories. Okay, and over here it says it's dielectric liner. So can you explain what that is, a dielectric liner?
1: It would make sure that the electrical charge is, it's basically a boundary for the electrical charge. The electrical charge cannot pass that. It's like an insulator. That's what the dielectric boundary is. So,
0: yeah. And these microwave emitters, once they're turned on after some time, I don't know how long, then it will induce the Schwinger effect?
1: It will induce the frequencies that you need to achieve the, uh, the Schwinger effect with. Remember the whole idea of the Schwinger effect is to break down the quantum vacuum, which would mean to create discontinuities in your space-time so-called continuum. And once you achieve these so-called voids within the vacuum, then the craft can be sucked into that area of, uh, I believe uh, Dr. David Froning, or I'm not sure whether... Yes, Dr. Froning... uh, spoke of it as a conditioned vacuum, if you refer to his work, Uh, David Froning. I I think he goes by his middle name somehow, but his last name is Froning, and he speaks of it as a conditioned vacuum, whereby you can facilitate the movement of these uh, inertially reduced grafts. I do believe his last name is Froning. It's, I think it's spelled F-R-O-N-I-N-G, Froning. Another
0: effect that you should go over is the Pregogin effect, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Oh,
1: the Pregogin effect, yes. The Pre- Ilya Prigogine, uh, I believe 1977, Nobel Prize winner in non-equilibrium thermodynamics. Uh, the idea that if you have a non-linear uh, medium which could be a plasma, again, if you inject uh, electromagnetic energy into it and then you, ex- you somehow inject it so as to drive the plasma far from equilibrium, then w- it is possible that these plasmas will self-organize, thereby giving rise to what's called the prigogine effect, I'm not quite sure if anybody refers to it as the Prigogine effect, but he talks of it in his Nobel Prize lecture. Uh, I think it's called Time Structure and Fluctuations. It was given um, at Stockholm in in, uh, 1977 upon receipt of his Nobel Prize in non-equilibrium thermodynamics. You can actually see he talks about this idea in the form of, I believe he uh, talks about Bernard cells. Uh, Bernard cells, it's a fluid dynamic phenomena that occurs when you have a certain layer of oil over a heated plate, and how eventually these uh, chaotic, seemingly chaotic uh, cells, eventually self-organize in these these beautiful, almost, I think, hexagonal shapes, and uh, hence the Prigogine effect. And it can, again it can be applied to any non-linear medium. I, I, I choose a plasma because it, it is a, an, an incredible stru- It's an incredible state. Think of it. It's the fourth state of matter. And I believe it's quite possibly the bridge to, let's call it quintessence, for lack of a better term. Yeah.
0: What's meant by non-linear medium?
1: a nonlinear medium would be a medium in which uh, your energy is quite possible would resonate will be amplified if added uh it will no longer be incrementally amplified it will be nonlinear so the effect would be parabolic for example again the idea of instead of omega omega square like you find in the pi of so yeah. That's mm-hmm. what I mean by a nonlinear medium. Okay, so the nonlinear yes.
0: medium is the plasma, and that's inside the resonant cavity of this craft, and that is resonating because of the microwaves.
1: Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Because you, and as you add, as you as you uh, accelerate in frequency of these, the, um, exactly how how these frequencies uh are accelerated, I cannot speak on the podcast, but. It, it it is feasible to get this omega square effect rather than your regular linear omega, because again we're trying to counterbalance this Q square term, this uh, charge square term, because you don't again it's hard to get that one coulomb of charge as you have as you yourself has, have remarked. So, but it is much m- much better to get these high frequencies. E- using either piezoelectrics or plasmas under certain structure
0: now forgive me if i'm taking a while to come up no, with questions no. it's only because i'm going through my notes and there's so much <laughs> actually for most people i have them all on one page but for you they're scattered amongst maybe six documents here yes sir. and either way i'm not ter- i'm not terribly concerned because i'm we're going to be editing this, and it'll be pristine once sure. it's finally put up. So for the few people who are watching, you're going to have to bear with my <laughs> ineptitude and habitude. Okay, so let's see here.
1: And my diatribe. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, while I'm coming up with mainly a, a clarificatory question, do you have any questions? For Do you have any comments or clarifications Actually, of your own? Actually...
1: Uh, it- It would be great if uh, I know that you have background in theoretical physics. Could you, for example, because eventually I want to talk about this idea of the superforce, the force of unification. Could you go into the idea of quantum gravity and, and speak on it? Because I know you're quite knowledgeable in this area.
0: Sure. So how about this will take about four and a half minutes, maybe five and a half minutes or so. It's just that I haven't seen any explanation of why quantum gravity is a particularly tough Formidable subject. Outside of it being strewn across many lectures, and certainly never concise and even precise in a podcast. So, if you don't mind, I can go through that.
1: Oh, please go ahead, sir. And by the way, why I say this is that you've had a tremendous podcast with Professor Carlo Rovelli, who are greatly, greatly hold in great esteem, just like I hold Professor Stefan Alexander very much in great esteem. I wish he he had responded to my emails on the superforce, but that's another matter. Um, Carlo Rovelli in his uh, he spoke of this new book I think it was uh, published in 22 uh, by uh, Professor Jacom he goes by J Armas of the University of uh, um, Amsterdam Conversations on Quantum Gravity that is exactly it sir and uh, if you can take it away please do
0: in classical gravity there are a couple principles that are held as sacred you have them as assumptions these assumptions are motivated But they're somewhat, they're assumptions. So general covariance, that's a technical term. You can look this up. Locality. And locality, what that means is that your Lagrangian at any point depends only on that point and then the derivatives at that point, rather than this point and then some point that's far away. And then you also have a third assumption, which is that you don't have a dependency on derivatives of order three or greater. You also have, see, some people say background independence, which sounds like we're placing all space times on an equal footing, quote unquote, but then... This whole equal footings business, you hear people say that space and time are on equal footing. I think that should go away. They're myths that hold you back, they sound nice, but space and time are not put on equal footing in Einstein's equations because you have a minus sign with the time direction. So they're similar footing, but they're not the same footing. And then also background independence, placing all space times on equal footing, it doesn't make sense because that would mean you'd have to have a measure on all space-times such that you can say that they're all equal in some way, and it's not quite apparent how to do that. Okay, anyway, one of the problems with quantum gravity is getting back to our known laws, because you have to cross many scales, there's like 10 to the 40 scales, either the order of the order is about correct. And in condensed matter physics, if you you know what space-time is, you know what it means for an atom to be in a particular place. Well, when you're describing the fundamentals of space-time itself, what does it mean to be at a particular place? What does an observable mean? An observation is generally at a particular time. Now, even in classical GR, an observation at a particular time isn't well-defined. So then one of the reasons why people go into 3D gravity, you'll hear this term plenty, is because in 3D gravity, in gravity in general, whenever you're trying to quantize it, you study vacuum equations, which means you remove all the matter, and in 3D gravity it turns out that the Ricci tensor is zero, and then that means that the Riemann tensor is zero, which means that it's locally flat, which means that it's a topological field theory. And what that means is that it's extremely well behaved and it's nice to study. You can deform spacetime and correlation functions aren't affected. Okay, now how do we go about quantizing gravity? So here's one way, and this is the approach of loop quantum gravity. It's that you remove all the matter, because you generally want to study vacuum equations, and then you take a surface, and then you set that surface at t equals zero, and then that surface has to be a Cauchy surface. So there's so many technical requirements here. And a Cauchy surface is a, it's not kosher, although it's kosher to be Cauchy. It's a technical requirement to be Cauchy. Then you make a manifold into a Poisson manifold. Okay, so how do you do that? Well, you place a Poisson algebra. Now, the reason why I'm saying all of this, it's so Baroque and esoteric, most people Their eyes are glazing over. It's because, firstly, many people are somewhat lied to by these people who are popularizers of science, by them speaking down to the audience and simplifying, overly simplifying it. And I feel like for 30 years, the public has been mystified by wave-particle duality. And that needs
1: needs to go away.
0: Yeah, wave-particle duality is, it's not that something is a wave and a particle. It's a quantum mechanical object, and it's something different. Well, anyway, so I'm speaking with these intricate terms so that people who are interested can then look it up. By the way, this is called canonical QG, but it's a non-canonical choice of a, because you chose a slice. And now you understand it. Okay, what is a Poisson algebra? Poisson algebra is a Lie algebra that's associated with the derivation. Okay, now you understand it classically. Now, classically, you have Q and P, which are like phase space. And that's understood as a member of a cotangent bundle over the space of positions so then what you want is a Hilbert space that has the same commutation relations but with operators on a Hilbert space so then for QG you think okay how about instead of a cotangent bundle over R3 which is classical mechanics you take a cotangent bundle over the space of solutions of Einstein's equations but then this is an infinite dimensional space and it has singularities And it's not even a manifold, it's an orbifold. And then it's not even a cotangent bundle for technical reasons. Then you wonder the technical reasons have to do about constraints and then constraints play a role because I know this gets a bit Baroque, but I'm almost at the point, technical constraints. There's a tricky role with them because let's say you have R2 and then let's say you want a particle to be restricted to the y-axis on R2. Well, what you can do is you can set X equal to zero. Sure. Okay. But then what do you do with the momentum? Do you set momentum equal to zero? It turns out that you shouldn't do it like that. What you have to do is you have to mod out by Px is equivalent to Px plus a constant, and that's called a Poisson reduction. And so there are many different small but extremely technical reasons why one can't simply make a superficial quantizing of gravity. And then you also have to mod out by phase space except phase space in this space in this case, is a diffeomorphism group. And then it's that's strange because in traditional physics, you act on a system with time, with time translation, but you don't mod out by time. And then in the canonical approach, it's not easy to define what it means to be a square integrable space over all Riemannian metrics on three manifolds. So you have square integrable spaces and Hilbert spaces in traditional quantum mechanics. So instead, you define a new variable where the metric is in the variable. And that variable is an SU connection called a spin connection. And so then a spin network and then you get to spin networks from here so a spin network is a graph where each edge is an irreducible representation of some group and then the, each vertice has assigned to it an intertwiner which relates them and so on but you can see what's, you can see that all of this is extremely technical and that it's not that one doesn't understand quantum gravity because they're missing consciousness for example or someone who believes they've watched enough Neil deGrasse Tyson and three blue, one brown, that they can solve quantum gravity and the Yang Mills mass gap, et cetera. There are technical reasons why quantum gravity doesn't work. And if one could solve it, it would be worthy of a Fields medal in and of itself. Okay, so that's quite a slew of information that I may end up cutting from the podcast, but we'll see. I'll trim that down. So that's quantum gravity.
1: I hope you do not cut any of it, sir. Uh, Dar- uh, Dr. Eric Weinstein and Sir Roger Penrose would be extremely proud of what you just said. More people should explain quantum gravity this way, not just, yeah, anyway, uh, the way it's done.
0: Well, look, the, look, space-time is classical and smooth, and quantum gravity is, fluctuates, and so you have to, it's not as simple as that. I mean, the, it, well, it's not as simple as that. Anyway, no. now go that ahead. I've talked about quantum gravity for a bit too long, why don't you talk about what the super force is and how you believe that solves some of the problems in quantum gravity?
1: Okay. It's interesting because you can say this would go back to Sir Isaac Newton. Uh, I think it was 1693. I could be possibly wrong with the year. He writes a letter to his friend in, in which he says, "What if, what if gravity... Is caused by an agent, capital A, that acts constantly in accordance with given laws of nature. Why, what if this agent, capital A, is the superforce? And what I mean by the superforce would be like the force of unification, the force would, uh, that would rule over the other forces and equalize all forces. I believe it does exist at the Planck scale. Now, why at the Planck scale? Look carefully at the structure of general relativity formalism that's used by Einstein. And I shall not use Ricci or R- uh, Riemannian curvature formalism. I'll use Einstein tensor. So, G sub mu nu equals what? A eight pi big G divided by c to the fourth. The whole thing times t sub mu nu that t sub mu nu again, representative energy density, but look carefully at that scalar constant. It has a term in it, c to the fourth divided by big G. Well, if you do the math, that term comes from a an, Planck energy divided by Planck length. So your Planck mass times c-square, the whole thing divided by gh-bar, divided by c-cube, the whole thing, one-half. The thing comes up as c to the fourth divided by g. How can you get a Planck force featuring within general relativity? And it goes further. You can find the c to the fourth divided by big G, What's I term the super force this force of unification in the Dirac equation, which is the relativistic form of Schrodinger equation, the foundational form formalism of quantum mechanics, which is absolutely remarkable that the c to the fourth divided by g should figure. Not only that, but the superforce equals the Planck force, and the Planck force does not have h-bar in it, so it's non-Planckian in nature. It's classical, which means the superforce... Which equals the Planck force at the Planck scale is the bridge between the world of the very large, namely general relativity, and the world of the very small, represented by quantum field theory. And according to Professor J. Armas, this is what's needed a force of unification, a bridge that would unify all four known forces, in this case, including gravity, even though some people think of it as none. Force. They think of it as a space-time geometric curvature, but if you look carefully, okay. And now that I've said what I've said with the c, for, uh, c to the fourth divided by big G, look carefully at Einstein equation. It can be reformulated. It actually saying that the super force acting on the space-time geometric. As someone
0: immersed in the exploration of physics, consciousness, and math. I recognize the importance of supporting my body and my mind. This journey of discovery led me to a remarkable find, Mosh Bars. Mosh is a venture by Maria Shriver and Patrick Schwarzenegger and is at the forefront of blending nutrition with a mission to foster brain health awareness. With six mouth-watering flavors, there's a taste for just about every palate, even a selection of plant-based options for those preferring vegan nutrition. Personally, I found the chocolate sea salt flavor to be a delightful addition to my day, post-workout especially. In fact, I recorded myself biting into a bar for the first time. Mm. How's the flavor? Mmm. It's great. That was real. If you want to find ways to give back to others and fuel your body and your brain at the same time, Mosh Bars are a great choice for you. Head to moshlife.com slash toe to save 20% off plus free shipping on either the Best Sellers trial pack or the new plant-based trial pack. That's 20% off plus free shipping on either the best sellers or plant-based trial pack at M-O-S-H-L-I-F-E dot slash T-O-E. Thank you to Mosh for sponsoring this video. Razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more the wobble, the more the wobble, the more nicks, cuts, scrapes. A bad shave isn't a blade problem, it's an extension problem. Henson is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that's made parts for the International Space Station and the Mars Rover. Now, they're bringing that precision engineering to your shaving experience. By using aerospace-grade CNC machines, Henson makes razors that extend less than the thickness of a human hair. The razor also has built-in channels that evacuates hair and cream, which make clogging virtually impossible. Henson shaving wants to produce the best razors, not the best razor business. So that means no plastics, no subscriptions, no proprietary blades, and no planned obsolescence. Just make sure to add them to the cart. Plus 100 free blades when you head to h-e-n-s-o-n-s-h-a-v-i-n-g dot com slash everything and use the code everything.
1: Structure gives rise to energy density, hence matter. And you can just see by rearranging the terms of the equation that that's exactly what's saying. Not only that, if you look carefully at the Bekenstein-Hawking formulation for entropy of a black hole, c to the fourth divided by big G also features in that because your entropy of a black hole would be given as h bar, or actually uh, k sub b, which is the Boltzmann constant, divided by h bar c, that term times c to the fourth divided by g times your area of the black hole. That would be your entropy. And you can actually see that I am correct. The actual and the significant, again, is that it is the superforce acting on the area of the black hole that generates this black hole entropy. Hence, I believe it's the superforce that's the bridge. The C to the fourth divided by big G, which is non-Planckian in nature, acts as the bridge between the world of the very large and the world of the very small. And it, is, it exists at the Planck scale at every point in space and time.
0: Okay. So help me understand, yep. what does it mean when you say that it acts on it? So firstly, let me make this clear. When you say super force, you're referring to the Planck force. And people can look at yes. what the Planck force is. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then secondly, when you say it acts on it. So let's imagine we have G equals K times T. And forget about G's. Einstein, forget I'm just making up some right. variables. I should, right. just could have right. said X right. equals K times Y. Right. I wouldn't say right. K is acting on Y, but you're saying K is acting on Y in that case. So what does that mean? To me, I see that as a proportionality constant, so as like right. a conversion factor.
1: Okay, so think of the analogy between uh, the f- main formula of general relativity, G sum mu nu equal that scalar constant times T sum U nu. Now, transform it into dimensional character. Just think of it, uh, would be one divided by L square, where your L would be some characteristic length, could be the Planck length, mm-hmm. equal uh, um, L divided by E times E divided by L cubed.
0: What's it, your energy? energy. Okay. Right.
1: right. E divided by L cubed, that's your energy density term. Well, what is a force? It's, a, it's really the gradient of an, of an energy. That's why that E divided by L, it's really your super force. And if you just put that term on the other side, it's actually saying it's the super force acting on your space-time geometric curvature that yields your energy density, hence matter. So I believe it is the super force that generates matter based on whatever that space-time geometric curvature local in that particular domain is. So you could actually have a different idea of what... It's just remarkable what Einstein has come up with. It's, it's, if, if you just restructure it, you see a whole different meaning of his formula. But still, and it says it is the super force acting on the space-time geometric structure that gives rise to energy density, hence matter. That is interesting, I think. It's new, anyway. It's just a new way of looking. It's just a new perspective on old physics.
0: Okay, so let me state it in my words and see if this aligns with what you're saying. Yes, sir. Okay, so traditionally in Einstein's equations, you have G, which which colloquially is space-time, and so geometry. And then on the right side, there's T, which is the stress-energy tensor, which is thought of as the matter. Now, these are coupled, but you can think of it as geometry, and then there's some proportionality constant in the matter. Now, you're saying that it's 8 pi divided by the Planck force. So let's just move the Planck force to this side. So it's Planck force times the geometry equals yes. 8 pi times the yes. matter distribution. And you
1: can... Think of the superforce or the Planck force in this case. Uh, what is the superforce? It is the Planck force because it acts at the Planck scale. So therefore, the superforce equals the Planck force. So what that equation now says, it's the superforce that's acting on the space-time geometric structure that yields your t mu nu, your energy density, which represents matter.
0: Okay, I'm going to need to think about that some more because I still don't see. So the way that I see it is that, okay, cool. These numbers come up in a couple different places. It comes up in quantum mechanics and it comes up in relativity. And these are what we're trying to merge. Keep
1: in mind, C to the fourth divided by big G. Why should it come up in the Dirac equation? By a manipulation of the terms in the Dirac equation or the Schrodinger equation, and also in general relativity. And just think of it actually even easier than that. If this force, c to the fourth divided by big G, why should it be non-Planckian in a classical realm? Because it is Planck energy divided by uh, Planck length that all of a sudden loses its h-bar term. So it becomes classical. Why? because the super force must exist, and it's 10 to the 44th Newtons. I believe it actually act, it acts at what, uh, eventually we're going to talk about the Ashtakar bounce point. And you can give more in your podcast. You understand this because you read the, right.
0: Yes, yeah, so Ashtakar's Bounce, what, what Sal is referring to is this paper called The Robustness of Key Features of quantum, of Loop Quantum Cosmology. So people can look that up. That will be in the description. Okay, now you're saying this bounce is relevant to your work because?
1: Because I'm saying it's the super force that acts at the Planck scales, that's at this bounce point, this Ashtakar bounce point, that actually you can think of it as saying thus far and no further by actually saying there are no space-time singularities. It doesn't go to zero. It goes to the Splank scale. It's exactly what Professor Ashdakar talks about when he talks about his bounds. I believe it is the superforce that acts at this bounds that prevents any so-called space-time singularities from forming. This,
0: I still need to think about some more. So I'm going to be yeah, thinking about sure. it between now and when we Absolutely. speak again.
1: Sure, sir. And please make sure that you read that conversation. Uh, I, I believe it's number three, by the way. Three. Uh, I like the number three very much. So go ahead.
0: <laughs> okay, so just what Sal's referring to is there's this book called Conversations on Quantum Gravity, which anyone who's interested in quantum gravity should read. And there are different chapters, and each chapter is... A theoretical physicist talking about the problem of quantum gravity from their point of view, which generally contradicts everyone else's point of view. So it's fun to watch because they pretty much are squabbling without speaking to one another. <laughs> uh, number three is Ashtakar. Yes. Did ball lightning inform your work with plasma?
1: I cannot say it did. Again, what informed it was was the, but that's a very good question. What informed it was this um, idea of uh, considering the heaviside version of of uh, Maxwell's equation and this idea of that you can get these extremely high electromagnetic energy fluxes. But if you look carefully at, at this question, it's quite possible that that's why it works. That's why, for example, it's a very unusual that these uh, these effects, can, these balls of plasma can actually go through solid walls. You have to question why. How?
0: You hear people talk about orbs in the UFO circles. Do you believe these
1: to be related to ball lightning
0: or some form of plasma?
1: I quite believe that they are forms of plasma, yes, sir. It speaks, it speaks to this idea of quantum electrodynamic vacuum by breakdown because once you achieve these effects, all these anomalies can be present. Yes, I do believe that's possible. Just to get a bit speculative here,
0: these balls yeah. are usually of the size of the order of a tennis ball to a basketball. They're generally not larger than a building, let's say. So let's speak on the ones that are small. Do you imagine that to be a small craft, a probe?
1: Hyper-speculation again, this is, okay. From a hyper-speculation point of view, I would say it's quite possible. These are probes. Yes.
0: When someone is operating in that craft that you outlined in this hybrid craft using an inertial mass, hybrid craft using an inertial mass modification device article, are you able to control the craft from within it? Because in some of these space-time engineers, I know you're not engineering the metric, but in some of these craft which depend on space-time metric engineering, it's not as if you can control the mechanism that propels you forward so that you can stop it and move it left and right and so on because it's causally disconnected from you. Can you control it in your model?
1: I believe it's possible. Again, refer to Froning's work and the condition vacuum. Once you can achieve these voids within the vacuum, it's quite possible that you can... Uh, affect these uh, think of the craft as being sucked within these voids within the vacuum that are created. That's what Froning work talks to. And you can see his work. You can, I I believe it, uh, there are PDFs of it still available on uh, if you Google them. Yeah.
0: Dr. Lacknow, or I don't know how to pronounce it, but Dr. Lacknow. Oh,
1: Victor Lacknow. Yeah.
0: Dr. Lacknell said, or at least seemed to be one of the few that spoke positively about your work in (laughs) academia. Okay. So can you speak about what his thoughts were?
1: He believes that I'm able to generate uh, Bose-Einstein condensate-like states, whereby it is possible for these uh, uh, room temperature, high temperature superconductive effects to be achieved. Uh, I believe Dr. Lagno, again, uh, uh, he I'm not sure. He could be of Ukrainian origin, but I'm not sure. Let's explain
0: what a Bose-Einstein condensate is and then as well as what a superconductor is. Uh, What's the difference between the two?
1: Okay. Um, I wouldn't call myself a, a good explanation. <laughs> I, I could not provide a good explanation of a, uh, of exactly what a bose-einstein condensate is all, all I could say is that uh, in a superconductor you can achieve Cooper pairing so you can so you can actually have your electrons uh, somehow couple with one another so now they actually can move smoothly through your conductor rather than uh... now exactly how this is done uh, because after all, between two electrons, you have uh, a repulsion force—a very high repulsion force. So exactly how this is done within a superconductor, this is uh, the idea of BCS theory. I think Bardeen, Cooper, and Schrieffer—they also got the Nobel Prize for uh, high for uh, so for superconductivity, I believe. But it, it was not. Um, High temperature superconductivity. Now, Professor Lachno says it is possible to generate these Bose-Einstein condensate. It, uh, I, I believe these are states of matter when you go very extremely low in temperatures. You, you can actually have uh, coupling between your electrons. For example, the, this whole idea of, of Cooper pairing, how these electrons couple to one another. So they actually move as one uh, I believe uh, 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 what? Uh, Wolfgang Ketterle, Professor Kettele, who's uh, who received a Nobel Prize for uh, the practical achievement of a Bose-Einstein condensate, the best way to refer to it is to have these electrons move as if they march in lockstep, or one giant matter wave, he called it. Yes, I have great respect for Professor Ketterle remarkable man. He he actually answered one of my emails one time when I was trying
0: As someone immersed in the exploration of physics, consciousness, and math, I recognize the importance of supporting my body and my mind. This journey of discovery led me to a remarkable find, Mosh Bars. Mosh is a venture by Maria Shriver and Patrick Schwarzenegger and is at the forefront of blending nutrition with a mission to foster brain health awareness. With six mouth-watering flavors, there's a taste for just about every palate, even a selection of plant-based options for those preferring vegan nutrition. Personally, I found the chocolate sea salt flavor to be a delightful addition to my day, post-workout especially. In fact, I recorded myself biting into a bar for the first time. Mmm. How's the flavor? Mmm. It's great. That was real. If you want to find ways to give back to others and fuel your body and your brain at the same time, mosh bars are a great choice for you. Head to moshlife.com/slash to save 20% off plus free shipping on either the best sellers trial pack or the new plant-based trial pack. That's 20% off plus free shipping on either the best sellers or plant-based trial pack at M-O-S-H-L-I-F-E dot com slash T-O-E. Thank you, to Mosh for sponsoring
1: this video. And to publish uh, something, it's extremely hard to publish an archive. Every one of my papers <laughs> was rejected at archive. This is Cornell University's uh, depository. They usually... Uh, publish there before they go on to try to publish in a uh, prestigious journal. Uh, uh, the first time that I tried to publish, uh, they had no idea who I was. And when I sent them, uh, I think one or two of my uh, previously published papers also, uh, that I have a doctorate in mechanical and aerospace engineering from Case Western Res- Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. When I send this to them, they basically said, "So what? <laughs> so what? Uh, you know, uh, we we need you. No, not at all. Uh, we need you to get uh, some so- some sort of sponsor." So that's when I started writing to notable physicists that. I assumed, you know, could, could possibly sponsor the work. One of them was uh, Professor Kettle, another one was Professor Maldacena of the Advanced Institute uh, at Princeton. Um, unfortunately, neither would sponsor the work, so I just gave up and went with the patent route.
0: Mm-hmm. So You don't just have one patent, you have three,
1: and you had trouble with only mm-hmm. one,
0: is that correct? And the other two were fine?
1: Actually, there were five patent applications put in. There was a high-energy electromagnetic field generator. It received the patent. There was the craft using an inertial mass reduction device. That received the patent after uh, a lot of going back and forth with the primary examiner, Mr. Philip Bonzel, a great, great man, by the way, very, very, very technically apt. Uh, he posed some very key questions that
0: Like, for example, uh,
1: fortunate enough. Again, he said, How can you produce, uh, I mean, neutron stars for goodness sake? Again, can you know, and electric fields on the order of 10 to the 18 volts per meter? You're talking about the Schwinger limit and commensurate with B fields on the order of 10 to the nine Tesla. Again, that equals CB uh, relationship. Um, So uh, he really knew his stuff, and we were able against. one of the things that I send you, uh, uh, did that uh, primary examiner interview, uh, that um, there were series of slides that aided to his acceptance of uh, of uh, that patent, the allowance of that patent. Here uh, we had a very strong appeal uh, that was based partially on that phone interview and uh, where the slide presentation was presented, and that got us through on that one. Now, another one was the high frequency gravitational wave generator. That patent application also received. That was the first office allowance that went through extremely smoothly, which for the controversial ma- subject matter discussed was very interesting. And uh, then there were two more. There are room temperature superconductor, uh, which we actually changed the name to high temperature superconductor, thinking maybe that uh, will make the primary examiner more. more more malleable it did (laughs) it and so that pattern application and the last one a plasma compression fusion device which was I was fortunate enough to actually publish in uh, IEEE transaction on plasma science a very prestigious journal uh, of plasma physics especially uh, which deals with nuclear fusion actual production of nuclear fusion and um the chief editor of, of, of the, found it very, very refreshing. I still remember one of her comments. Uh, again, it's, it's these are new ideas. They're quite, some people call them revolutionary. Some people call them breakthrough. Any which way, these are new perspectives on old physics. I would not call these new physics at all, right. because they're based on old physics. It's just a new interpretation. For example, the the whole idea of the superforce, how the superforce can arise in Einstein classical relativity for for, for formalism, even though the superforce is really Planck energy divided by Planck length, meaning it is the Planck force, so it acts at the Planck scale. Again, just new ways of looking at old physics. That's all this is.
0: Can you remind me once more what the electric field strength is?
1: The Schwinger limit is 10 to the 18 volts per meter.
0: Okay, so look, if I do this little calculation, just the back of the envelope. Well, right. back of the Wolfram Alpha envelope. Here it right. says that if you are 10,000 kilometers away from something that generates that, you should feel 10 to the 10. What is the unit again? Gigavolts or what? what is it? Oh, uh... I'm, not, I'm not an engineer. I don't deal with numbers.
1: 10 to the 18 volts per meter. That's your Schwinger voltage. Yeah.
0: Look, let's say it's 10 to the 18 and then you divide by R squared. And then you just say, well, look, can I feel if something at some part of the planet is generating this Schwinger effect, I should be able to feel it at some other part of the planet
1: drastically. So firstly, is that correct? I would not know. I've never generated those kind of energy densities. I would, I would not know. It's based my on fall opinion, off by r squared. My opinion is that it generates this in the prox. It's a local effect, so it generates it in proximity of the craft. So it does not.
0: It doesn't bleed some out somehow. Reason,
1: yes, exactly. It's it it becomes. Um, it's as if it's a break. It's a break in the space time continuum. It's as if, again, you generated a void within the quantum vacuum. There's absolutely nothing at that point. You know how there's like
0: Lawson criterion for the superconductors? Yes. Is there something else that talks about how damp it would be? Like how far it would have to be before it starts to fade off rapidly, even greater than R squared?
1: I have... Absolutely no clue. I've done no further work on this than I've already done. And as far as I know, nobody's picked up on it because everybody thinks, again, these are the ideas of a crackpot. Some people have called me, what, a charlatan, a crank. uh, I've been called many names. How does that uh, make you feel? It's hard. I will tell you the truth because I I used, again, all physics and just regular dimensional analysis, actually of a rather simplistic nature to generate these formalisms and why would people you know why why must they denigrate other individuals with such I would never do it I, absolutely not I, I would try for example to see whether it's experimentally feasible but I and, and and even and even if that person is proven false, I would definitely not use such such uh, such term some yeah. I, I do not understand why that makes certain people feel better to use such injurious language because mm-hmm. it is an injury. Mm, I'm it's, sorry man. I, I've spent many sleepless nights just reading I've stopped reading everything that was written I'm glad. on my work. Uh, because I, I can't take it anymore. I'll tell you the truth. It, it's, it's just, it's it's hurtful. There's
0: no need for it. To stand up for you, as to the degree that I can, from what I've read, at least much of it, not all of it, but much of it is, like you mentioned, like old physics and you're just plugging in certain numbers. And so to me, the main critique shouldn't be that this is the work of a crackpot. But for me, the main critique would be how does one know that this is even achievable, that there's not some other mechanism that comes into play that stops it. So, for example, just because one can write down a space-time metric like the Schwarzschild metric, it doesn't mean that first the Schwarzschild metric is not physically realizable in the sense that it's sure it's a black hole, but it has time symmetry. So it doesn't describe a Mm -hmm. collapse. And it also has zero charge. Like, is that realistic? And so on. So just because I can write a solution. Same in Newtonian mechanics too, by the way. Most, all of Newtonian mechanics is idealized, but I'm referring to something as simple as, let's put a certain amount of mass such that light can no longer escape. Like, who knows if some other physical law comes into play before that point, turns out it does, it's GR. But that would be, my critique would be like, my critique would be, well, who knows if some other mechanism comes into play to stop these numbers from reaching the the amounts that you say, rather than this is the work of, a, of an insensate crank who is just trying to bolster his ego and his reputation by claiming to invent a flurry of new products, each of which would be worthy of their own Nobel Prize on their own. So at least that would be my critique. And I don't like the denigration that's put forward to you or to anyone else. And I, I hope that this podcast can serve to show people that you're not someone who doesn't know what they're talking
1: about. I thank you, sir, and I salute you for that. You are one of the few physicists who have said some nice words, some practical words. You're right. This must now be the realm of experiment, and careful experimentation of certain of these ideas should be made to see whether this effect does occur or not, rather than use slur and language that's not needed. Now, speaking of
0: experimental tests, is it possible that if someone was to fund you, how much money would it take and how much time would it take for you to produce the effects experimentally, physically? It's physically realizable.
1: Sir, the truth of the matter is uh, my work, uh, now that I, I cannot speak off, uh, I work for the, fer- for the federal government, I um, has nothing to do with this work. And uh, whether it would have to be the federal government and some agency that I I would never perform such work for a private individual. I I apologize for this greatly, but I think there are matters of national securities that must be respected. And uh, if I'm anything at all, call me a crank, call me a charlatan, call me a crackpot. But, sir, I am a patriot, and it stops at that. That's all. I am not sure I'm not sure of the numbers involved I'll tell you the truth I'm I'm far more I'm I'm more of an en, an engineer of, 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 I'd love to call myself a physicist even though I cannot <laughs> I do not have the correct pedigree even though I've dabbled um in um I am not an administrator I'm more of a uh, a technical guy and I'd rather stay that way so I would need a whole team I Most likely, it would involve some budget people who come up with the... But this would be in the realm of a multi-million dollar effort. This is not something that you would do with half a million in three years.
0: See, something I'm thinking about is if these were indeed operable, which you're not saying they are, and if the Navy or the U.S. government did indeed believe in them, then they could easily file it under a Secrecy Act. They didn't have to make it public so do you feel like you're so firstly why do they make it public and is part of the reason because it's a preemptive strike against the possibility of it being one day developed by a competitor
1: i think my opinion uh just look at rose cole uh book name in plain sight sometimes the best way to hide something is in plain sight
0: what does that mean I'm remember I'm just a what? lowly podcaster, a failed filmmaker. So explain what that means, please.
1: It's quite possible that no one knows exactly the end effect of all this work. And therefore why why classify it? Why and and even if it was correct and it could lead to all these breakthroughs, sometimes the Best way to hide something is in plain sight, because again, who would? Do you see any mainstream physicists trying to take on the Pais effect and trying to prove its validity? Absolutely not. They would rather call me a crank and crackpot and shalt and rather than try to do the experiments and see whether they work or not. So it's much easier to call it a work of disinformation and leave it at that. My biggest fear is that certain nefarious elements would pick up on this work and find validity within it. And that's why language was made specifically in those patent applications to deter any such nefarious elements from proceeding on some of these ideas. Let's just leave it at that. I cannot substantiate what that means. Your viewers are very intelligent, so I know they will pick up on certain things.
0: Okay, I'm not terribly intelligent. So let me ask you a question, and then you can choose to answer or not. The
1: way that you describe quantum gravity, sir, speaks against that
0: volumes. What I'm thinking is, See, I'm going through it and I'm trying at least arduously to take it seriously and to wrestle with it and go through the details. And I personally didn't see anything in there that would say to a country who doesn't have our interests at hand, who knows, even if our own government has our own interests at hand, who knows, but you understand what I'm referring to. I didn't see anything in there that would stop them from doing the same investigation that I'm doing. So what what are you referring to? What do you mean? Can you talk
1: around it? I left out some of the secret sauce. Okay, now, what do
0: you make when people say, well, there has to be disinformation in it, not just incomplete information, disinformation?
1: I did not write these patent applications, and I'm pretty sure the government did not file them in order to create... false information, these were written to the physics of the effects that I was following through. That's all. They were not meant to uh, scare off anybody. They're a new window into new opportunities. And it's quite possible, again, these have such commercial possibilities. they don't need to be weaponized. If indeed the Bice effect, or the Schwinger effect, or whatever Whatever. you want to call it, if indeed this effect is valid, it could lead to new, to a new world. Why not give it that opportunity? That's all. And I really wanted the Navy to have these. Because if if any of the contractors, if any of the uh, uh, companies that uh, form the military-industrial complex, uh, if, if any of them have or will come up with these ideas, they would charge the Navy great amounts of money to to make them feasible. If the Navy already has them, those prices can be talked down, be alleviated. And that's why I actually accepted no royalties for this whatsoever, none, not one cent. I did it out of pure patriotic duty. And I stand by those words. That's all. Maybe that's why it hurts so much when I'm making a crack. At
0: a yeah, I can imagine.
1: Yeah.
0: How does your family handle that?
1: They stay away from it. That they 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 don't get involved. Every now and then, my daughter will show me, it. "Hey, look, Daddy, that this particular person thinks you're okay," mm. uh, and puts a That's smile nice. on my face. You know. Yeah. That's, that's a good, she tries not to show the negative things. And I've stopped. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. I've stopped. If it's overwhelming. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. So yeah, just leave it there.
0: Once this finally goes online, please have your daughter filter out some of the comments to show you.
1: Okay. Please (laughs) don't
0: read them because I'm sure this, this there's a quite, well, you can imagine.
1: I can understand. That's okay. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. So, but I would never call those individuals these kind of words again, there's no need to be hurtful. We can be quite actually great steps in in- advances in physics can be done with people that cooperate rather than be offensive to one another. There's no need for hurtful words, period. I'll leave it at that
0: right. So you mentioned Eric Davis.
1: Eric W. Davis. Yes, sir. Dr. Eric W. Davis. What are his comments on your work? From what I know, they're not... uh, They're not... uh, Positive. That's it. So, yeah.
0: Why do you think that is? Do you think... Because obviously he's an extremely intelligent person.
1: Extremely.
0: And if he believed that this was I'm getting a bit tired, so forgive me if I as I
1: That's quite alright, sir. I'm 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 getting there too. I th- this is heavy physics, I tell you, so yeah, definitely.
0: I mean he is in a position to judge the veracity of this. Yes, he so is. I would imagine that he would be able to see whether it's true or not. So what do you make of him and his dislogistic comments?
1: I would just say try it experimentally, uh from what I know, um, his associate, Dr. Harold Putov, has better things to say about my work. I'll just leave it at that, because there's nothing official on that, and that's.
0: Hold on, Sal. If you can hear me, I can't yeah. see you right now. Hold on, Sal. Oh boy! Oh, sorry. So, so you're saying, from what I know, his associate. Sorry. Continue that.
1: Right. From what I know, his associate, Dr. Harold Putov, has a better. Um, better ideas of my work, and uh, but that's of a private nature, so I cannot go into that. The best thing to do is actually go to Dr. Davis uh, directly and ask him, why why does he think my work is not uh, worth the paper that it's written (laughs) on?
0: I would like to speak to Dr. Eric Davis. I spoke to him briefly over email, just had a couple email exchanges, but nothing substantial. I'd also like to speak to Jack Sarfati, who also has his own ideas as to how these yes. tic-tac work.
1: Unfortunately, Dr. Sarfati also does not think highly of my work. Well,
0: it seems like each person is uncomplimentary to the other.
1: Actually, I think both of their works are very interesting. I I wouldn't I I think there's value in them both, and they should all be given finances to follow their theories. So from my perspective, I think they're worthwhile. It's interesting how both of them think mine is not. It's uh, It hurts. I'll tell you the truth. I can see that, man.
0: And that alone puts you in a great category that even though you're being criticized, that you're not willing to criticize them, or at least no. if the criticisms will, will be laid strictly at the work itself rather than the person, and that you still say that, hey, even if I don't think this will work, they should be allowed to explore it, and perhaps it should even be funded to explore it.
1: I would never say something, I don't think that would work. I think experiment is essential in proving whether a physical theory is correct or not. And if anything fails experiment, then we should look not necessarily... Abolish the theory, just give up on the theory, but see whether there's something we've missed within the theory to make it experimentally verifiable. It's too easy to give up on things. I, again, I think a lot of physicists have given up on philosophy, which, which is essential. I think physics without philosophy is like a seed without water fruitless it's important for physicists to also be philosophers and i've always tried to to have that this is why i love the work of professor carlo rovelli i think professor carlo rovelli is also a great philosopher and there is absolutely no stigma attached to that i think all great physicists at one point in time were great philosophers look at uh, sir isaac newton look at uh, so Roger Bacon, look at uh, – um, why not – yes, look, for example – Francis Bacon? Francis Bacon. I, I I apologize. Yeah. No, right. So Roger uh,
0: Penrose is what you're thinking of, and then you combine that with – Yes. Okay. I he, understand.
1: He also has a philosophy yes. of things. So Roger Penrose is amazing. It's uh, – uh, Dr. Eric Weinstein, his um, uh, he he had a re- uh, an interview. I'm not sure whether it's recent, maybe a one year old interview with Sir Roger Penrose before Sir Roger mm-hmm. Penrose. Yeah, won it was the about Nobel two years Prize. ago. Yeah, right on 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 the portal, I believe it was very interesting, and and you can see the admiration in Sir Roger Penrose's eyes of Dr. Weinstein. again, Dr. Weinstein, his idea of ge- of geometric unity, why. Must people say nay? Give it a chance, man. I mean, this is what physics should be all about. I can't think of any
0: other reason, other than jealousy.
1: I don't know. I, I, I've never thought badly of anybody else's work, so I, I, I cannot put myself in their shoes and judge. Well the reason I say that is cuz I see that in myself I see I, there's so
0: much jealousy in myself and there's so much criticism that I do of other people in my own head luckily I I temper it and I try to stay away from it but I I see that quality in myself and so it's something I can identify in others mainly because I suffer from that perhaps to in a, a on an order of magnitude much larger than the other people that I'm saying suffer from the same sins.
1: I don't see that in you, sir, at all. As a matter of fact, I I admire you greatly and I admire the work that you do and I hope Series of Everything podcast stays on forever. Because it's, no, you do a, a great service to the community. The guests that you've had on are remarkable people with remarkable ideas. I I think if your podcast was ever to stop I don't know what I would do in my free time. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So well, that's just extremely
0: kind of you. Thank you so much. Did you get to watch that podcast with Gross and David Gross and Carlo Ravelli?
1: I have such admiration for both gentlemen. Very much so. But at one point in that interview, when the host um, calls... Um, Professor Rovelli, uh, uh, a poet, or something to do with philosophy. If you can see the expression on Professor Gross's face, just. I mean, this is a Nobel Prize winner. One of the best physicists. It was we
0: have. an expression of what? Distaste? It was
1: not. It, it Contempt? It was more like of uh, something of their nature. It, it was not something that. Professor Gross should be associated with. And I'm pretty sure that he never meant to have that. But for some reason, the host had him, you know, had the... Again, philosophy should have never been divorced from physics. Period. Unfortunately, that divide has been created. And as a result, I think we've lost a great deal... In physics, again, these new ideas, these, uh, everybody wants new physics. Why not new perspectives on old physics? There's nothing wrong with old physics. Just because those books start smelling musky at times doesn't mean you should put them away. That's
0: one of the reasons I'm excited to speak with Jack serfatti and or his collaborator, Keith Wasner from California State, Fullerton, because, at least in Jack's words, it's not new physics, it's the same physics, just with a just from another perspective. Well, his is from a metamaterials perspective, and then using that to change what is that proportionality factor that's right beside the stress energy tensor.
1: Right. Yes.
0: What is your opinion on why James Sheehy attested to the let me let me make sure i phrase this correctly please and i'm i'm so glad that i'm just with you here i'm i'm terribly not nervous which i usually am extremely nervous because you, i feel so comfortable with you
1: you you definitely should you're you're one of the best people that i i i, I would like to know on a personal level one day you, well, you you truly are remarkable okay and i I hope your podcast brings you great fame sir you deserve th-
0: it th- thank you I'm not sure I'm not looking for fame, but I know what you mean success in some manner yeah,
1: however you want it yes, yes, you deserve it
0: yes, thank you, thank you maybe You're yeah okay thank you
1: mm-hmm. if sure, if people
0: sure. okay now I'm not gonna do that <clears throat> let's okay, let's see here hmm. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, it was essentially there's nothing different than what I was saying. essentially. So the CTO of Naval Aviation Enterprises James Sheehy, correct?
1: He was at the time. He no longer is.
0: I have no idea what. Sure. Was. Why did he at the time personally vouch for the patent for its operability?
1: Maybe it was the passion that I actually showed him. I actually went to the blackboard in his office that that it took a great while to get to that level. But I was able to go from fundamentals to show him that it is possible to get such high energy densities. Again, just from the Heaviside some some people say Heaviside Gibbs version of Maxwell's equation. But let's just say Oliver Heaviside's uh, representation of Maxwell's equations. I was able to convince Dr. Sheehy that these kind of energy densities are feasible, and if they're feasible and how I was able to show them, then his statements make perfect truth he was not he was not speaking badly or, or he he realized the passion in these ideas and the possibilities that they represented and he is a great man sir if if you met him you'd be you'd truly be in awe of this man. He's, he's, a, he's not just a good man. He's a great man. He's able to listen and he's able to understand what other people would just not even pay attention to. Immediately they will say no, impossible, rather than con- consider the conditional possibilities of these so-called seemingly impossible feats. When earlier
0: you were referring to the patents, you mentioned that they were incomplete in some manner. But as far as I know from patent law, they have to have enough information in order for someone to be able to re- reproduce it reasonably if they had the technical know-how. So does that mean that technically shouldn't have been patented?
1: Not at all, sir. Uh, as far as the the way they were enabled... It's perfectly fine, because remember that in the whole idea of the Pais effect, controlled motion of electrically charged matter from solids to plasma states subjected to accelerated vibration and or accelerated spin via rapid acceleration transients. Now remember that. That's always been presented. Of course, the plasma state was never discussed. That's where some of these anomalies may occur. Just leave it at that. I cannot speak further on the subject.
0: Speaking of anomalies, have you ever encountered any UFOs? Have you had any any experience with "quote unquote" the
1: phenomenon? Not sure. Absolutely none. Sometimes I, I. I'm not sure whether actually I'm. I'm not sure. I was about to say sometimes I wish I had, but now I'm not sure how I would react. Maybe it would be tremendous. Maybe I would lose control of my faculties. God forbid, you know. No, I feel feel exactly... I mean, this is such... Oh, I know we're dealing here with a realm of hyper-speculation. Sure. But so many people have said that they... Observe these, even when you look at some of these cave paintings showing objects. I mean, you don't need to have a doctrine in physics to start questioning where all these people's liars were, they're acting in concert because many times their explanation of these, and again, this whole idea of this uh, new UAP office coming into being. These are not madmen. Our our, this had congressional representation. These are strong, stable people. If they believe there's something to this, am I to say there isn't? Did you ever build on the research or look at the research of
0: Ning Li, or I don't know how to pronounce this, but Podkletnov's superconductors?
1: Evgeny Potlidnov. Um He uh, is very interesting. I I read some of his papers. For example, I read the one on impulse generator and the way that he used these incredibly high voltages, this discharge. I think he used a Marx generator or something of that nature to, to provide this impulse gravitational wave. Again, I if you look at the Pais effect, they never used any of those ideas. Mm-hmm. This came directly, again, from the Heaviside version of Maxwell equation, And I, I apologize for sounding repetitive, mm-hmm. but that's exactly where it came from. And that's what convinced Dr. Sheehy, because it came from fundamentals, things that he was accustomed to and acquainted with. I was able to convince him that's why he said what he said.
0: Forgive my rudimentary question. Remember, I'm not an engineer. I'm more on the theoretical end, if anything. What's the difference between a pulse and an impulse?
1: I myself would, would. to me, and it sounds the same almost. Uh, maybe uh, an impulse could be the effect of a pulsed action. One could uh, be the effect of the other. Possibly. Okay. But sometimes I'll tell you the truth okay. language confuses me. <laughs> maybe maybe because English is not you know my first language. I was what is born your first in Romania. Language? I was born in Romania. I came here when I was 13 and a half years old. And by the way, Triasca România, Triasca poporul român. Nimic fără Dumnezeu. Which means long live the Romanian people, long live Romania, nothing without God i'm uh, I'm religious, always have been, but uh, mostly since my mother passed away from stage four liver cancer it, it you need something to I, I strengthen you
0: trust me I know
1: I pray a whole lot and uh, I never I would never try to bring my beliefs to anyone else. I think. I think religion is a personal and th- shouldn't be left at that. That's all.
0: So you had a transition of work. You went from the Naval Air Systems Command to Naval Strategic Systems Program. And do you like your new positions better?
1: Um actually uh I cannot say exactly where I work now, but I had moved on from the space strategic systems programs, uh, the Navy, uh, to the Space Force. Um, just new opportunities, uh, new ideas. To I'm, I'm an engineer, so I like to do practical things. So when I'm presented with a new opportunity, sometimes I pick up and go. Not necessarily with my, uh, the, the location of my uh, uh, abode, <laughs> but with just a new opportunity, new faces, new ideas, new, new possibilities. That's always intrigued me. Maybe that's why uh, this work spans so many physics domains from condensed matter physics to general relativity to quantum gravity and so forth. So, yeah. I like to learn. I never stop learning. I think when you stop learning, something in you dies or it atrophies. You should always be learning new things. Now, I'm not necessarily saying learn all things in all domains. I, For example, if I was to go into the medical field, I, for, this is why I hold you in tremendous esteem for example, the word, the how you were able to read on the work of Dr. Carl Friston. This is, I do not think I could have read those papers. So my hat down. My hat I barely read him. them. So, no, that's even Dr. Friston at one point said, you know, you you understand these amazingly well. So, congratulations.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. You're too kind, man. Now. Sal, so has something happened behind the scenes that allows you to come forward? Like, what is the reason for you coming forward now rather than before? And when I say coming forward, I mean, at least this is your first time on video. There was only, I think, two images of you prior to this. So I'm in my mind, I'm wondering, is this related to the Nimitz and the disclosure in general?
1: Not at all, sir. I just, the the book by Rose Coldheart, um, Again, the chapter twenty-three in which he basically say, "Are these patents uh, uh, merely a pathetic bluff to scare off America's rivals?" I would not have done. I would not I would have not performed due diligence as an engineer and as a as a person that serves the American people and the federal government. I would have not done my due diligence if I would have just l- let it. Just go by the wayside and say, oh, this is baloney, because it is not. A lot of work went into these ideas. A lot of work went into these patent applications. And they're not meant to scare off anyone. They're meant to ask questions and possibly open new avenues towards uh, new ideas. That's all.
0: Sal, thank you so much. It's time for me to do my due diligence and go through some of that work in the super force, because I, I still, I'm unclear and I need to gain some clarity, so perhaps I can send you some emails and ask you, what what does this mean? What does that mean? For our next conversation to be a bit more illuminating when it comes to quantum gravity and the super force's relationship to it.
1: Sure, sir. And please, uh, if you see me now responding right away, is because I can basically just work on this stuff during weekends. Uh, you and I have discussed this previously, so, okay. I don't want you to take it as an affront, or he's not, because it's no. I know it's happened to me when when people have uh, it's, you know I I write emails and nobody answers for weeks, and I I tell you it's not that I do this because uh, in any way it's an affront to you. It's I, I'm extremely busy at my work at this point in time, and leave leave it at that.
0: Yeah. Okay. And also. Same with myself, if you don't get a response right away. Sometimes you Understood, may not get a response for about a week or two.
1: Hey, that's dude, it's due
0: right. to you, okay?
1: Please don't don't forget a hyperlink to this because my wife was really interested. So said, what? <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, thank you very much, sir. And You're welcome, I, I, I cannot help calling you sir because it's a term of respect. And I call people, my, my boss at work, sir, it, it's just a term of respect, people I respect, I call sir in in private conversations I'll call you dude and brother and so forth but it's different I and see I, I see. tell you you are my brother you and I have a link our souls have a link I like you very much on a personal level just leave it at that all right
0: Thank you, Sal. Thank you, Sal. And by You're the way, man, to... when I say man, like, hey, man, so and so, that's my term of endearment, okay? <laughs> I love that. I mean, yeah, no disrespect, I mean way. respect by that.
1: No, no. I had some awesome uh, friends in, in New York City. They, oh, my goodness. Oh, the language we used. I could never use that air. <laughs> Leave it at that, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. So, do you have any message to say goodbye to the audience? Because uh, we're live, and I'll either include it or not, depending on what you want.
1: Sure. Uh, For everyone out there, just cooperate. Cooperate and try to be positive in your thinking. Give people the benefit of the doubt and always experiment on new ideas. And remember, it doesn't have to be new physics, just new perspectives on all physics. There's nothing wrong with all physics. There's nothing wrong with all all musky books that should never be thrown in the fire, as they say. (laughs) That's all. Thank you, sir.
0: My ending note is that there's a misconception about physics that people, that these shifts are when people throw out everything that had come before. But this isn't true. It's mainly whenever there's been well established theories and there's inconsistencies, then that's an indication that specific changes are needed to be made. And revolutions aren't from some place where someone found themselves under a tree where they were by a Mayan temple and now they had this insight. And so it's completely radical. It's usually a conservative element and a radical element. You need both, not just conservatism, because that's just the way it's been, and not just radical, because at least historically, it's never been that. It's a combination of both. So for example, Einstein was extremely conservative. He had a certain set of principles that he wanted to hold onto tightly, even when other people were willing to throw out those principles. So he said, no, 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 this is what is foundational. And then from there, he built his theories.
1: Totally agree with you, sir. And just one more thing. Einstein's general relativity formalism is absolutely amazing. And everybody trying to prove Einstein wrong Think again. This man, he truly is. You know, every now and then, these forces of nature are born. I believe Einstein was such a force. A little li- li- enough said, as they said.
0: Okay. All right. I'm going to end the live stream. Thank you, everyone, for showing up. And this will be edited and placed out in about two to three days or so, depending on how much sleep I can get. Okay. Take care, everyone. And Sal, <laughs> stick around because me and you will talk privately.
1: Absolutely, sir. Right here.
0: Stop the live stream. There we go. Okay, so now no one can see this. Let me make sure about that, just so that in case you want to say anything private, it's not. No. Saying end stream. End. There we go. Okay, great. That's ending. Okay. So, Sal. Oh, firstly. Yes, sir. No, not not firstly. Endly. I will make sure that I stop that audio recording, and then you could send me that file. Okay.
1: Well, and how how do I send it to you? I have I'll no do I'll do it I'll it. do it for you. Okay, yeah, you do it, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, so
0: let's think. So how did that go for you?
1: Tremendous. I mean, you, you, you're really good. You're right on the point, and you. Um, how should I say you have some pertinent stuff, some very good practical questions. So I hope I was able to answer. For example, I got all screwy on the Bose uh, Einstein condensate because oh. I I know the physics of it. You know, I I know. Do you it's... want me
0: to remove that one part? If you mess, if no, you feel no, like no, it no, th- no. okay. No, 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 no,
1: That's quite all right. Uh, let people know that I have deficiency. I'm I'm only human being. Yeah. I, I make a lot of mistakes. I I certain things I do not know, but I remembered immediately. Uh, the work of Dr. Wolfgang Ketterle and was able to come back and basically, that's what it is. It's when electrons uh, march forward in lockstep. That's how you describe that a giant matter wave. That's exactly how Dr. Ketterle described it in his uh, Nobel Prize-winning work. I forget when. I think 2009 was that uh, the Bose-Einstein. Concept? I believe so. I. It, it's it's funny uh, in, in in his email to me because I I uh, of course I can compl- I, I wouldn't say I complained but I said why are the archive gatekeepers so hard on me you know what mm-hmm. said well you know otherwise they would have to publish everything that yeah. was sent to them you know and and uh, he was right in that it's um, it's. And it wasn't condensed matter physics per se, what I was uh, sending. So that's why he, you know, he basically said, I, I'd rather not. <laughs> but I have a feeling if I would have insisted, he's that kind of person. He's a really nice guy.
0: The podcast is now finished. If you'd like to support conversations like this, then do consider going to patreon.com slash I M U N. GAL that is Kurt Jaimungal it's support from the patrons and from the sponsors that allow me to do this full time every dollar helps tremendously
1: thank you